What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Welcome back to the Final Fours on the Schedule. I'm joined again with Rod. And Rod, we're going to do another What If episode. It's summer, and so we can think back to those glory days in better uh, better seasons at least. Although, as we've discovered when we do these What If scenarios, we're very much, I guess, really moved by how the end of the season looks in these seasons. And you kind of forget all the stuff that leads up to it. So when you have these great runs in the NCAA tournament or Big Ten tournament or the end of the season, you kind of forget all the bumps along the, the way. And it's kind of fun going through this just just to see sort of what we had to get through to, to begin with. And so this time we're going to do the 2010-2011 season, uh, which is great. Oh, nine, ten. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 2009-2010 season. 11 was a bad year. It's it's always tricky coming back with because it always flips around the, the year, right? Uh, so this is Draymond Green's sophomore year, uh, to put things in perspective. And Michigan State was returning three starters from a rotation which – was the national championship game of the year before that was Draymond Green's freshman year where they got blitzed by North Carolina and that amazing North Carolina team in Detroit. That was all the economic depression was going on and people, you know, Izzo was sort of, it was kind of the year for Michigan state to sort of the state to pull, pull behind them and that really great run to the national championship and Draymond insisting that he would be back at some other, some time. Uh, they had a couple losses from the season before. So they lost Goran Sutan and Travis Walton, uh, which meant that, they still had a lot of expectation coming into the season, but it took a while for this team to really get going. They added two men to the recruiting class, uh, big men, Derek Nix, who then, of course, eventually became a starter and was limited that season, and Garrick Sherman. Started the season number two in the country and went off to a 4-0 start, including a home win against Gonzaga. We need to play Gonzaga more often at home. We seem to do really well against them. Uh, they... Michigan State then made the semifinals, the Legends Classic, and lost to losing to Florida by three, uh, and then lost in the road game to North Carolina uh, by seven points. And then they fell to number nine nationally, and you know it was not terrible, but then they lost a game at Texas by eleven late in December, and finished non-conference with you know ten and three, which most of those are cupcakes, and so that was not really a great record. And Gonzaga was a really good win, but it was at a home game and. I don't know. I mean, I guess it was kind of middling start to the season, which had a lot of expectations. Yeah, I I think that again, when you need to, you really need to go back and, and look at these seasons in detail sometimes to fully appreciate the breadth of the story. Because you know, in college basketball, we're talking about a season that starts in early November, and if you're fortunate, the way Michigan State was that that year, it ends in April. That's a long time. And there are a lot of plot twists and narratives that, you know, go one direction and then another. Michigan State started the year ranked number two, as you said, and expectations were extremely high. Why? Well, you had Kalen Lucas coming back, who was Big Ten Player of the Year as a sophomore. Not a lot of guys win Big Ten Player of the Year as a sophomore. And and that was a you know, I think the expectations were, all right, Michigan State has one of, if not the best player in America this season. Um, they had Darrell Summers, who had been had been and continued to be plagued by inconsistency for his entire career, but coming into this season was coming off a very good tournament run. And I think, again, expectations were, all right, Darrell's going to find a consistent level of play. He's a star in the making, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We go from there. 
They had Delvon Rowe, who had been a starter as a freshman. But what we came to find out is he would never really be healthy in his Michigan State career. And it held him back during this season. From And, and every year he played at Michigan State from being the player he otherwise would have been. Delvon Rowe is probably the great what-if story as an individual in Izzo's era for sure. No question. Because we're talking about a guy who had been a McDonald's All-American and just was a sensational power forward who was never right physically at Michigan State. He got hurt early in his senior year at uh, Cleveland St. Edwards, and he was just never the same guy. But again, we didn't know that at this point. The thought was, all right, he's going to bang up his freshman year, but he was still pretty good. Now he's healthier as a sophomore. He'll be better. You had Draymond Green, you mentioned, who had broken through late in his freshman year. He's coming back now. So that's another piece. You then have reserves like Chris Allen and Corey Lucius, who people were very, very excited about. Felt like those guys could take another step forward. And then you had the two big men recruits in Derek Nix and Garrett Sherman, who people were very optimistic about. But uh, Owen Raymar Morgan, let's not forget Raymar Morgan as a senior, a four-year starter, kind of a rock kind of guy, maybe never the greatness that people had hoped for, but was a consistently solid player at both ends all four years. That's a lot of pieces for a team to have coming back. So there was legitimate reason for people to be excited about what this team could be. You know, they, they had experience, they had size, they had talent, they had depth, seemed to have all the bases covered. But we got the sense early that year that it was not going to be an easy ride. You mentioned the loss to Florida in the semifinal of the Legends Classic. Florida was unranked when Michigan State lost that game. So that was not, that was not great. The loss to Carolina, yeah, it was a road game. And yes, Carolina was ranked, but Carolina was rebuilding. You mentioned that year before MSU got waxed in the title game by what I think is an all-time great North Carolina team. But most all of those key guys were gone. Right. Yeah. Carolina was rebuilding. They still had a ton of talent, but they were rebuilding. And the expectation was not that Michigan State was going to get in there, going to go in there into Chapel Hill and get handled. Well, they did. Um, and then a loss to an unranked Texas team. So 10 and three in the non-conference, you start the year at number two. They entered Big Ten play after all that at number 11. So there had been a slide. And I think at that stage, there was definitely reason for concern. And I think one of the things that happened is, and this is often the case, you can lose veteran players in some instances, who maybe even didn't do huge things for you statistically, but boy, they mattered more than the numbers would suggest. And I think Travis Walton absolutely fit that mold. Losing him was a big deal. His his defense, his leadership, his presence. And then Goran Sutan, as a fifth-year senior the year prior, was a very, very good player. And Michigan State kind of struggled with figuring out um, that spot. You know, Delvon Rowe was banged up. Draymond Green was a sixth man. He wasn't really starting. What MSU eventually settled into um, was uh, Raymar at the three, Delvon at the four, and then Derek Nix was starting at the five, although he wasn't really playing starters minutes. So he and Garrett Sherman were in the rotation, but, certainly didn't give Michigan State the kind of consistently great two-way play that Goran Sutan had provided. So they were really, I think, as often happens, the guys that they lost, you know, go back to a, a season more recent in, in Spartan fans' memory, the 2019-2020 uh, season, where MSU had to replace Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins. Yeah. Now, those two guys obviously were very good players, but they weren't the stars of that team that went to the final four the year prior, but boy, replacing them was not an easy task. And it took Michigan state a good part of the year to really figure out, okay, what is this group now? Even though they had so many guys back, it still took a while. 
I think this team we're talking about was very similar in that respect. The guys they lost were very good players, weren't necessarily the star, but they were significant losses, and it just took a while to figure it out. Yeah, and I think if you look at offensively, you look at someone like Goran Sutan, he was lethal outside, right? And and you and you suddenly have a four who's not shooting outside. It it changes the way your offense has to run. It Absolutely. changes the way the people defend you. And it those things are hard to compensate. And I think Travis Walden is really that, that leadership is the thing you there's no stat for, right? And that the guy in the yep. locker room, the one who keeps people accountable, the one who's barking out, you know, where you should be defensively and switches and things like that. I think you it's easy to undervalue that during the season. Here, here's the thing. Michigan State actually did have the perfect um, successor on the roster in Draymond Green. The trouble is he was only a sophomore. Yeah. And I've talked about this occasionally on the podcast. Sometimes it takes guys leaving to create a vacuum that somebody else can step into fully. And that's why I don't think for as well as I mean, Draymond Green had a really good year this season. He was Big Ten sixth man of the year, led the team in rebounding coming off the bench. So it's not like he didn't help, but. He didn't come into his own fully until he was a senior, until all those guys, the Kalen Lucases, the, the Doral Summers, all those guys, uh, Raymar Morgan, all those guys were gone. And it was he could look around and say, OK, this is truly my team now. That's what I think this team maybe missed. It would have been great if he had been able to step into that role, but that was never going to happen. And it doesn't it doesn't make guys like Kalen Lucas bad guys. It's just the reality. Kalen Lucas was Big Ten Player of the Year the year prior as a sophomore. He's not – there's no case for him to say, all right, somebody else call the shots. <laughs> oh, and he was the point guard too. So, you know, that just wasn't going to happen. But you, we can look back in retrospect and say, yeah, that's what should have happened. You had the right guy to be an ass kicker the same way that Travis was and keep guys in line. It's just the space was not there for him. And then going back to your Sutom point offensively, I mean, he was really valuable defensively as well. Very underrated uh, big man defender. But offensively, um, you know, the stuff that people talk about so much now, how important it is to have a four that can stretch the court. Tom Izzo was way, 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 way early on that. I mean, you go back to his earliest teams at Michigan State and A.J. Granger playing that role. Right. Adam Ballinger did those kinds of things. You know, Paul Davis did those kinds of things eventually in his career. And Goran Sutan was another guy who gradually grew into that role. If you look at this team, they don't have that kind of player. You have Rowe, who wasn't really a three point shooter. Draymond was not an effective sh jump shooter at this point in his career. And that was kind of it. Even when you slide Raymar to the four, Raymar was not a great three-point shooter. Yeah. So they never had they they never had that element that the team the year prior had possessed with Goran Sutan. And offensively, Izzo teams have occasionally had this problem where they over the years where they've had a four man who's not shooting it very well or at all, and it does tend to gum up the works a little bit. He, more than most coaches, he was very early on that, utilizing the four as a pick-and-pop threat. And when his teams have not had it, offensively, they've struggled a little bit more. Yeah, you definitely see that in the spacing where people just kind of all clogged yeah. up the lane and um, you have trouble getting free. And I, I, to your vacuum point, too, before going to the next thing, I think Cassius Winston's a really great example of that recently where had Josh Absolutely. Langford not gone down, right? Suddenly there's so much more pressure and there's a scoring – you know, vacuum that had to be filled and, and Cassius really didn't become Cassius until Josh Langford went out and he just was, yep. he just was exactly. forced to do it because there's no one else to do it. And he became way more than I think anyone thought was going to exactly. happen. So no, no, one, no one saw that coming, right? He's the, he's the best example of it. Um, and you're right. I, I think part of the door was open when Miles and Jaron Jackson left, but then it didn't fully happen until Josh got hurt. And you're right. There was no other option. Like, Cash, this is your deal, for better or for worse. And it was for better. It made it took Michigan State from – isn't that ironic that we can look back at that year? This isn't on our schedule of what-ifs to do, but it's occurring to me. It's a good question to think about. 
would they have been as good or better if Josh Langford never got hurt or if Nick Ward never got hurt during that regular season? Because right. that's what truly allowed Xavier Tillman to go up another level. I think the answer is it happened the best way it possibly could for Michigan State. And this is why, to go on a tangent for a second, when some fans try to think about teams from a video game perspective, they really, really miss the boat because just stacking quote-unquote talent does not necessarily get you anywhere. Michigan State 2019 is a perfect example of that. In terms of stacking talent, yeah, of course, you'd much rather have Nick Ward. You'd much rather have Josh Lightford. But I don't know that I believe that Michigan State would have been the team they became if those guys – I mean, look, Nick came back, but it was in a reduced role yeah. once he came back. They figured out, hey, we're better with Xavier Tillman playing a larger role. And they couldn't really play them together, so it meant Nick was going to play less. You know, Josh Lightford? Uh, you know, I, just a great guy by all accounts and and had been having a very good start to the season. But would that would his presence have held Cassius back enough so he doesn't become Big Ten player of the year and arguably the best point guard in the country that season? I think it might have because he wouldn't have had, you know, there wouldn't have been that no choice factor. You know, it's like, well, we've got Josh and Josh is going to get shots and you know, does Matt McQuaid grow the way he right, did right. toward the end of his senior year? We can go on and on, but it's it's definitely true that I think you make a mistake when you assume it's like it is in a video game or like it like the game is played on paper. It doesn't work that way. These are human beings, and all kinds of things that aren't measurable do come into the, the mix. They absolutely do. Yeah, and I think you can't you can't uh, know exactly what. I mean, there are definitely injuries that can happen that can end the season too, just as easily. I mean, you just, you have to have the right person there who can fill that void and um, sure. be able to perform. I mean, obviously if it had not been Cash Winston or someone else, you know, maybe had it been Tum Tum Nairn, I don't think Tum Tum would have become, you know, right. any more, no, yeah, more so, right. right? And so that's, you have to have, that's the difference. You have, yeah. You have to have that Cassius Winston or Draymond Green in 2011 and 12, um, who is ready for it. Yeah. You know, and that's not always obvious. Well, let's talk a little bit more about 2009 season. So we're going to get into Big Ten play now. Michigan started out really well. They started out, uh, one, went 9-0 and and w- some good wins. Uh, funny to see Northwestern was ranked then because uh, that was yeah. one of the few times they were ranked in that time that time period. And they beat Wisconsin. Big road win over Michigan. Uh, Kalen Lucas hit a late jumper uh, and then uh, survived a, that was a crazy a- half-court pass. That was a big Michigan. game. Just to refresh people's memory, that was one where – Michigan State was down a point, and Kalen, under 10 seconds left, and he did this several times in his career. He And for my money, Kalen Lucas was the best closer Izzo's had, a guy who just you put the ball in his hands in a, in a one-possession game at the, end, at the end and let him go do it. You know, Kalen is the best, I think, Izzo's had, and he did that in that game in Ann Arbor where he just kind of rocked them and then rose up and hit a mid range jumper, but there was time left on the clock. Michigan got the ball to half court. They lob it. They ran up like a back pick and Deshaun Sims got loose. He gets the lob and just misses the lay in Michigan state. Absolutely could have had a heartbreaking loss and probably deserved it for losing him the way they did. Um, but it didn't go. And Michigan State ends up winning the game and remaining unbeaten in the league. And then what seems to happen every season at some point, the wheels come off and suddenly you can't do anything. And so they lose a bunch of games, uh, lost three straight, blown out at Wisconsin, five-point loss to unranked Illinois on the at in Champaign, and lost by 12 pretty handily to Purdue at home, uh, which suddenly became a team that I guess people were starting to pay more attention to and started to look like a team that was coming together and might be a real force in the Big Ten. That was Robbie Hummel's team at that time, too. They looked, to to refresh people's memory, that Purdue team was led by what they called the triplets, which were three sophomores. It was Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore, who was a combo guard, and Juwan Johnson, who was a long, skilled center. Not a particularly strong guy, but 
he got a lot done with his length and he was a good athlete. He could shoot a bit. Those three guys were the core of it. And they had a bunch of typical Purdue gritty players around them. But they, at that stage, seemed to a lot of people to have maybe leapfrogged Michigan State in the Big Ten pecking order. Um, because it looked like that young team, those especially those three guys, had really started to find themselves as an elite group. And for them to come into East Lansing and beat Michigan State by double digits, it was not a good situation. And again, this is the kind of detail that I think often gets lost a decade or more down the line. You forget about the ebbs and flows. This was a low point because Purdue was ahead of them in the standings, had just come in and taken care of business with a game at West Lafayette yet to come. Right. It just felt like an Ohio State was really good, too. This was an Ohio State team that was led by Evan Turner, who would end up as Big Ten Player of the Year. Those two teams, Ohio State and Purdue, really seemed to have leapfrogged MSU and, and seemed to be the class of the conference at this stage of the season. Right. And so the Michigan State runs off a couple wins and kind of claws back into contention, at least holding in there. And uh, then then Robbie Hummel tears his ACL and Purdue's kind of dream season starts falling apart a little bit. And then Michigan State comes and in, goes into West Lafayette, beats Purdue. I don't know. Is that the last time we won at West Lafayette? It feels like it's been about 12 years or so since we won there, either football or basketball. Uh, State had a you know, kind of a classic Michigan game, right? 23 turnovers, shot 43, 40%, but still beat the Boilers pretty easily. Um, and then, and then close out the, the season with a win over Penn State, beat Michigan, uh, but then uh, lost also later to, I think it was Ohio State, right? Um, yeah. But ends yeah, up but... ends up tying for the Big Ten ch- championship for with Ohio State and Purdue and in a season that, you know, if you looked at it, when you start number two, you think, well, it's disappointing. At the end, you're like, well, I kind of clawed back and sort of managed to hang on to the Big Ten, which I think it's easy to forget how hard it is to win the Big Ten in most years. Yeah. And that, you know, it's it's a long season and lots of things happen. You know, again, you're looks like you can't play basketball and then sometimes you can't do anything wrong. And I think it's and just when you play people and injuries. And so anyway, I it it's again, I guess a season that was kind of forgettable probably it, it, at the time. My problem is, of course, as I was talking off air before, I have a trouble even remembering the season before. Like I'll, I'll sit down and watch the next season. I can't remember who's on the team, and that's right. maybe it's just I don't pay enough attention. But uh, anyway, it was it was definitely a season that was not too impressive in some ways. And then the Big Ten tournament, a flame out first round against Minnesota in five points, right? And then you're like, eh, here we go. Look, they it was it was definitely a season of ebbs and flows. So if you look at it. Um, the win at West Lafayette was a big deal. Now, we're doing a what-if around Michigan State's 2009-2010 season. Purdue could really do one because Robbie Hummel hurting his ACL, it not only derailed this season we're talking about, it largely derailed the next one. And then, I mean, he came back and they were okay, but that group never really got fully back to reach what I think everybody thought their potential was. It was late in the regular season when Michigan state beat them. They were ranked number three at that point. The The universal consensus was they were the best team in the big 10 and the best shot the league had to win a national title, reach a final four. And then Hummel hurts his ACL. He's never the same player. He fought back to still be pretty good, but he was a lot better than pretty good yeah. before that injury. And, you know, Purdue would have a hell of a what if, uh, but Michigan State certainly wasn't going to give it back. That game was so weird And looking back at it. You mentioned 23 turnovers by MSU, and they won by, I think, nine? Yeah. So they won comfortably with 23 turnovers. How did that happen? And when they only shot 40% from the floor, two things. They held the two remaining triplets, Etwan Moore and Juwan Johnson, to a combined seven for 27 from the floor. So MSU's defense was dialed in, which had been a problem with this team, kind of up and down, in and out. And then they out-rebounded Purdue 46-20. to 20. So you want to talk about the last time MSU won in West Lafayette. When's the last time they out-rebounded Purdue by 26? That might <laughs> got to be that game. Um, so 
it was a weird game. But again, MSU wasn't going to give it back. You play the games that are in front of you. And they managed to win. I'll say this. They also, you've got to give them credit from this perspective. 14-4 and four in the league. But three of those four losses came to ranked opponents. And two of them were on the road. Three of the four losses were on the road. The only home court loss was that one to Purdue. Um, and, and the non-ranked team they lost to was Illinois. Um, and, you know, Champaign-Urbana, things happen no matter how good or bad Illinois is. <laughs> right. So overall, you can look at it and say, well, not a terrible year, but the Big Ten top to bottom was not great that season. You had Purdue, Michigan State, Ohio State at the top. Wisconsin was their usual pretty good. And that was kind of about it. So it was a top-heavy Big Ten. Um, and again, Michigan State entered the season number two. They entered the season as a team that was expected to be right there to win the national title. And they didn't look like that. And then you compound it by doing something that they seemed to do with some frequency in those days. Do you remember it was during this period and the years immediately prior to it where people had convinced themselves that Izzo intentionally tried to lose early in the Big Ten tournament? because he wanted his team to rest. Yes. I don't think it was ever true. But what is true is that they didn't play very well in this tournament all that often. And this team was an example of that, going out and losing to a very mediocre Minnesota team in overtime. Um, So they were done. And you put all that together, think about this in terms of how they were viewed. Despite being a Big Ten champion, Michigan State was only a five seed. Yeah. In the tournament. So expectations were not great and were nowhere near where they were at the season's outset. And then if you go, go from there and you say, okay, well now what, what's the, what if here, right? And the, what if are the two things that happen in the tournament? One is Kalen Lucas gets injured and the other is the foul of Draymond Green, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But I think, I think the whole thing with the big 10 tournaments, an interesting sort of thing with, with Izzo, cause you definitely hear that. And I mean, I think people can make a reasonable argument saying it's probably better not winning the tournament because in some ways, you know, you don't get, there's never a benefit to it. I don't think the seeding, because it's so late in the process that I don't think a Big Ten team gets a better seed because they win that championship game. Uh, Obviously, you'd rather win a game and be the Big Ten tournament champions. It's always nice having another trophy. But do you gain somebody if you then have a West Coast game on Thursday in the the NCAA tournament? Maybe it hurts you. I I don't know. I think it depends. I think it depends. It depends on where you're placed and what days you're playing. If your first game is on a Friday, I'm sorry. Playing Sunday and then Friday, it doesn't matter. If it's Thursday and if you're traveling, you're going west, okay, maybe you got an argument. But that hasn't been the case very often. No. Um, I used to be, in the era that this game was, was played in, I was kind of in the camp of, well, it's a nice little exhibition, but doesn't really mean anything. But that started to change. And I I think for me, it started to change in the um, 2011-2012 season where Michigan State had their rubber match with Ohio State to win it. Yeah. And that game was an app. If you think this game doesn't, those games in the tournament don't matter, teams, go back and look at how that game was played. And there have been a lot of those. There was the game, uh, Michigan State against Michigan in 14, where they won it. I am I am not a believer in the idea that the Big Ten tournament doesn't matter. I think it doesn't automatically matter, but I think it can matter. I think it mattered um, to that 14 team to take Michigan down when Michigan had won the regular season. Um, I definitely think it mattered the next year where MSU got to the final and lost an extremely tough game against a great Wisconsin team, I happen to think that was the springboard to the Final Four run that they had. So I think I, I think the, the 19 team we were talking about winning the Big Ten tournament, again, rubber match against Michigan, it mattered. So I especially think in an era where now we've got 14 teams in the league and you've got so many teams that you only play once, we're going to more frequently have, I think, shared regular season titles as a result. I think it's going to happen more often that way. Um, 
And so thus, I think we're going to have more, the, the Big Ten tournament will tend to have a little more resonance because it's a way, it's another data point to evaluate, okay, who truly was the best team in the league? And I think that matters. And I think, again, in many, I can point to many seasons where I think a good Big Ten tournament run, at least for MSU, has been a springboard, you know? So, yeah. but in this era, it was not really viewed that way by very many people. And on the other hand, the fact that they lost the way they did, had the regular season that was at least mildly disappointing, you see it reflected in the seed, a number five seed. And I think the general expectations were not that high for MSU, certainly not to make a repeat run to the final four. I don't think. And, and then they had the misfortune of being placed in the same regional with, I'm pretty sure the number one overall seed that year was Kansas. Yes. So that was another thing that was, they were fighting against. Right. But we'll get back to that in a minute. Absolutely. And I think to, to your point about the tournament, I, I think it's definitely the perception has changed probably from fans in the last 12, 10 to 12 years. It has changed. It's it now that's more of a permanent sort of a fixture in the season. It's part of the season that you expect it. Right. And before it was still kind of a novelty. There's yeah, that the AC, too. The ACC had it. Uh, I do. I still am not convinced that it makes a difference for seeding in the on the championship game whether you win it or no, lose it. No, it doesn't. Yeah, that and I, I think agree that I so, agree with that. And probably the, one of the, the best. only well, well, one caveat to that. The only time it does is I believe in 2012, Michigan State and Ohio State. It was going to be the winner got a number one and the oh, loser yeah, got right. a number two. So there are these rare occasions where it does matter. And MSU obviously was a one seed that year because they won the game. Um, but uh, but for the most part, I agree with you. It, it doesn't factor in because the committee's already done its work Yeah, by the right. time the game's over. And that's easy for them to flip two Big Ten teams around because they know, well, whoever wins, we can do this. Right. But that Michigan State-Ohio State game, Big Ten Championship, was I think one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen. And, Absolutely. Because I don't watch tons. But I mean, talk about two heavyweights going at it. it was That was super entertaining. I still remember um, on the journey and that was early in the big 10 networks history. That was like maybe the third year, fourth year we had the big 10 network. And I remember that that episode of the journey, they had a shot of um, um, Solinger's father in the stands who in the middle of the game was on camera. He said, this is a freaking war, <laughs> except he didn't say freaking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's what it was. His son banging with Draymond Green and Derek Nix, and you know it was, it was great. It was, and and there have been there have been a lot of highlights in that thing, in the years. I think it matters more than it used to. There there definitely was a period where Big Ten, I don't even want to say the teams as much as it was the fan bases, needed to adjust to this thing. Yeah, because it hadn't ever existed. The Big Ten was always about a regular season. That was it. Conference tournaments were for these other leagues. And then the Big Ten instituted it. And it just took a while, I think, for it to find itself. But I, I, I agree. I think the last decade or so has solidified it. And now it does matter. And now it is a big deal. And people do care about it. Yeah. And I think I think the the people who say much like Illinois last year, it's a little bit sour grapes to say, ah, we know we didn't care about it. So that's where we're, we're happy to rest, rest our players and not get it, not get any injuries well, and things like you that. You set yourself up for a no lose, right? If you're, if you're talking that stuff, um, <laughs> which by the way, Brad Underwood is still talking out of his ass. Just as an aside, I've seen it <laughs> this past week or it was late last week. He started talking about, we don't rebuild at Illinois anymore. We reload. Whoo. Let's see how it looks on the court, Brad. Anyway. <laughs> so let's talk about the NCAA tournament because, again, that's kind of what we, were, we remember at Michigan State for the most part, right? And uh, it didn't start out easily because you, whenever you're five seed, you're playing a tough team. You're playing a good mid-major team. They played New Mexico State in the, as a 12 seed and just squeaked by, by three. Caleb Lucas hit some, uh, scored a ton. He scored 25 points and led them over the New Mexico State. Uh and then they placed Maryland this back before Maryland was part of the big 10 in the second round. And I remember this game because I mean, obviously the biggest, the big news is Kalen Lucas, the best player in the team, arguably he tears his Achilles tendon and he's out for the, not only this, but you know, 
potentially his entire career. We don't know how long it's going to be. And now the team has to somehow beat Maryland, who I think is a four seed there, and find a way to uh, to beat Maryland, right? Yeah, and, and let's let's set the stage. So Michigan State had a nine point halftime lead. They they had they had this right. pattern um, in the entire regional of getting out to early leads and then having to withstand comebacks. It happened in three of the four games. And New Mexico State was the first one. They had a big lead and then withstood it. How long? One by three. Maryland, they led by nine at the half and led by as much as 16 in the second half and ended up trailing. So that's how much Maryland came back. Um, it was keyed, of course, by the Kalen Lucas injury. Uh, I could still remember it. He was on the, I think he was on the baseline and he just started hobbling and you didn't see anything. There was, he didn't fall and there wasn't an obvious cause to it. And it ended up that it was an Achilles. And um, you really thought at that stage, well, Christ, even if they survive this, it's over. Right. But you still want to survive. Right. Yeah. And then, and then Corey Lucius comes right, and so that's and that's what that is the one. If there's one thing I remember from that season, that's what I remember. Corey Lucius hitting that three at the buzzer to beat Maryland. When you sort of, it reminded me a lot of Kenny Goins' shot uh, against yeah. Duke in the regional finals, where you're like, no, and then oh, yay, right? And that's that's exactly what I felt with Corey Lucius, but a guy who was a more role player, I think, at that point. He was, but here's the difference, though. You know, Kenny Goins hit that shot. There was still lots of time on the clock. Right, yeah. Duke had a whole possession where they went down. Guy got Barrett, I think, got fouled. Missed a free throw. MSU had to inbound to seal it. Corey Lucius's shot was game. That yeah, was it. Right. Grievous Vasquez, who had a hell of a day for Maryland, he was a, a big point guard for them, hit a shot to put them up a point with six seconds left. MSU did not call timeout. They inbounded the ball to Draymond Green. Draymond Green brought the ball up court, gets to somewhere around the top of the key, and then opts to pass to Corey Lucius. The only reason the pass got through was Delvon Rowe had enough awareness to duck so the pass did not hit him in the head and gets to Corey Lucius. So great awareness by Delvon in a scramble situation. Corey took one dribble toward the top of the key, released, hits it, ball game. I don't think a, a listener can correct us if I'm wrong about this. I don't think MSU has won another tournament game like that. I don't. Th I can't think of another one where it was literally the last shot of the game. I don't think it's happened other than Corey Lucius. Goins might be about as close as we'd get to it. Uh, but it was an incredibly dramatic moment. Team went crazy, of course, um, and so they survived. And then you and have the, and you have a week, right? You have a week to prepare week for 16. the next. So you're like, well, you know, maybe they can, Izzo can work some magic. <laughs> You've got a you got a sweet sixteen without your leader, your best player, your point guard. They do have Corey Lucius, so it's not that they have a nothing who can sub in there, but he's not Kalen Lucas. And you're potentially staring down the barrel of number one overall seed Kansas in the Sweet 16, but something happened. Right, Northern Iowa happened, and the, and they take down Kansas. It's funny because my, I have a friend who's a big, huge Jayhawk fan. She always remembers all these pro these problems. Like I, when I think of Kansas, I think of them usually winning. I mean, they you, you as a fan, you tend to remember the 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 pain oftentimes more than the. Uh, than the, uh, the success, but so yeah, they lost and that opened up the region, right? And you, it happens all the time in the tournament where suddenly the, the path is clear and it's like, well, you know, maybe we can, no pun intended, limp into the, limp into the final four. You win a couple of games, anything's possible. Look, we're, you know, we're one of the reasons we're talking about this is a, what if in, in the Michigan state context is what if Caitlin, which we'll, we'll turn to at the end is what if Caitlin Lucas doesn't get hurt, but in fairness, Michigan State got two huge breaks in this particular season. Um, one was the injury to Robbie Hummel, which we talked about. 
which opened up the possibility of beating them at Mackey and winning a share of the Big Ten title. The second one was this. You have the team that everybody is concluded is the best in the country as the number one seed in your regional, and they get taken out just before you play them. That was a huge break for Michigan State, but you know what? Again, it's not Michigan State's fault that that happened. You play the games that are scheduled, and that's what happened. Northern Iowa took out Kansas. Kansas wasn't good enough to get it done on that day, but it did open up an easier opportunity. There's nothing saying Michigan State wouldn't have beaten Kansas either, sure. but it would have been a much different challenge. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about Middle Tennessee State, right? They come in, they shoot whatever it was right. 80% from three and you can't, you just can't beat them for whatever reason. And yeah, takes out what I thought was a team that I thought that Michigan state team was definitely a threat to win that win at all sure. you know, with um, Valentine, but you got to win the games. So, uh, so then make it to the sweet 16 now uh, and play. Uh, who do they play? Northern Can't Iowa, remember? Northern Iowa. Oh yeah. Of course they beat Northern. They play Northern Iowa, beat Northern Iowa, uh, somewhat forgettable game. Then they, they match up against Tennessee in order to make the final four, and why don't you go through that? Because I think that's kind of a, again, trying to play without your point guard. You you kind of think, wow, we were lucky we can survive without our star point guard against you know uh, Missouri Valley team. That probably sort of, you know, once you get past that first weekend, those, those teams t- kind of fade the, when they hit the Sweet 16. But yeah. now you've got, you're playing, you know, a Power 5 school. Tennessee was pretty good. I mean, they're not like amazing, but it was. Well, <laughs> this, was Bruce, this was Bruce Pearl's Tennessee. And those teams tended to have um, they, they tended to be uh, tough they tend to be athletic uh, and that team was no exception I think I think they were the two seed I'd have to look back I, I didn't check double check that but I'm pretty sure they were so they've had a very good season um, very tight game and this was the one exception um, you know me or not an exception rather it was another one of these games where Michigan State, had a healthy lead, saw Tennessee come back, and then it came down to Raymar Morgan, the senior, making a big play, getting fouled with 1.8 seconds left in a tie game and hitting the first free throw to put him up, and then he intentionally missed the second to force Tennessee to use a timeout. They wouldn't be able to set things up as well. Tennessee didn't get a chance, really. Um, and MSU wins the game by one point. And Raymar was a huge part of that win. So pretty remarkable that MSU comes through this. And it wasn't that Corey Lucius was sensational in those two games and even the close of the Maryland game, other than the shot he hit. Yeah. But but he was good enough. And other guys, Draymond Green stepping up, Darrell Summers, after a very erratic regular season, was the most outstanding player of the region. So he stepped up in a big way, uh, much more consistent with his shooting, um, a little more consistent defensively, which was a problem for him, finding that consistency. Uh, Ray Mars said was very solid throughout. They just got, they got enough from enough guys. And Michigan State's depth was critical to allowing them to win this regional because they were somehow able to withstand the loss of their leading scorer, their point guard, their best player, and still find a way to win it. Right. And now we're going to the final four in, I think this sort of reminds me of the last final four we were, we were in where it just seemed like a very winnable matchup. Absolutely. I mean, right. Kayla Lucas is out, which obviously significantly weakens your team, but you look at the opponents, you got Butler and you have Duke and you're like, yeah, you know, Duke is, good, but they're not like some amazing team at that year. It's not like you're playing North Carolina from a couple of years before, right? It's, this is a team that you could, you could hang with. And Butler is just Butler. You know, they're not amazing. They're a solid team, very tough defensively. It, it definitely seemed like you had a chance. It's important to put it in context. And again, the years may make it hard for people to remember, but this was not the Duke of the one and done era. This was what had become a much more conventional Duke team at that time. People forget it, but Mike Krzyzewski was a guy that was as well-known as Izzo has become for having four-year players, you know, guys that just hunt around and eventually got better. And this team was the epitome of that. 
This was not a Duke team that scared you in terms of talent. They didn't have a bunch of NBA players. Um, you know, I could cite some of the names and it would, it would probably uh, leave some of our listeners saying, who's that <laughs> in terms of who their guys were, you know, and Butler was the ultimate Cinderella. Again, this was, this was Butler before they did this stuff. So what they had been was a solid, nice program in the Midwest coming out of, I think they were still in the horizon at that point. Um, Thad Mata had started his coaching career there before moving to Xavier and then on to um, uh, Ohio State. And then Brad Stevens was at the helm at this point. And Brad Stevens was not a known quantity to anybody really outside the deep basketball world, but he had a nice team and he had an NBA player in Gordon Hayward that not everybody realized was an NBA player just yet. And they were a five seed like Michigan state managed to win their regional. The advantage for them was this was played in Indianapolis. So they really were kind of a home team. And that helped a bit too, but this was definitely set up as a final four that at Michigan state, I think more often than not has been in these things with super teams. Um, you think back to uh, the 15 season, they were the outlier because the other three teams were Duke who ended up winning it and were star studded. Kentucky, who was undefeated coming into the final four and was loaded and Wisconsin, who was incredible that year. That was the Frank Kaminsky group. So just loaded with talent, right? You look back to the year prior to this one, we already talked about it. You had that great North Carolina team. You go back to the one prior to that, 05, a great North Carolina team, a great Illinois team. Go back to 01. Arizona, Duke, and Maryland, all of whom were sensational, as was Michigan State. The year Michigan State won it in 2000, you could argue there wasn't another super team. You had kind of a mediocre Carolina team, a Wisconsin team that was an overachiever, and Florida, who had a lot of talent, including some NBA talent, but had not been tremendous. They were young, and and they weren't dominant. But the year prior to that, the first of Izzo's Final Fours, um, Michigan State was in with a, a, a loaded, you know, UConn had Rip Hamilton, Khalid Alamin, Duke had um, uh, Elton Brand, and uh, I think Trajan Langdon, Battier, uh, all those guys, they were loaded. So most often, and, and it's you should expect that, right? Final fours probably are going to be filled with good teams. Yeah. But I think Michigan state for the most part, when they've been in it, there have been some other really, really, really good teams. This year was not one of those cases. This year we're talking about, this was a year where it was, there just wasn't a dominant team anywhere in the country. The one that everybody believed was dominant was Kansas and they got beat in the second round. So it was one of those years. So you have two five seeds playing each other uh, for a right to take on Duke, and you have you have a game that looks like it, it sort of played to Butler's pace. But you know, Michigan State's always designed, and Izzo's always emphasizes this, that he can play anyone's he can play anywhere. You want to play slow, you want to play fast, you want to whatever. We'll we'll try and dictate that as much as we can, but we we can win any way you want to play, and that's always been sort of his mantra, right? That yeah. You know, we can we can play like Wisconsin, or we can you know play like Iowa. We're gonna beat we're gonna beat you either way, um, and so game's really tight. Of course, no Corey Lucius, and then states down one point, and this is the no call on Draymond Green where he he shoots. I know he's like what eight feet from the basket, and Hayward clearly like hits hacks him on his arm. I mean, there's no question about that. Doesn't get called, and Butler goes down. They end up winning by two, and then play a very tight game and just barely lose to Duke the next the national championship game. So this is another what if for like, what if that foul is called Draymond green? Does he hit the free throws? And if he does, you know, does Michigan State beat Duke? I mean, it, you certainly think they had a chance. It would have been a two shot foul. I'm not sure whether they were in the double bonus, but it, he was in the act shooting. Yeah. He was so shooting it would him. have been a two shot foul. 
he needed to hit and there was i think it, it was about under, five six seconds five left. Sec- yeah. yeah it was pretty yeah about the end. so not a lot of time i think the odds are pretty good that he at least ties it yeah splitting the two you know you would you would bet on him at least hitting one of the two uh and then from there who knows you know, they would have had a shot. This game was a rarity. Again, MSU in this tournament, their MO was get a lead and then give it up. <laughs> in this game, they were down by as much as seven in the second half, which against Butler, the pace they play, that was a that was a tough, tough situation to be in. And yet MSU fought their way back in it. Look, I, I've seen this thing. I'm sure many of our listeners have seen it numerous times as well over the years. Clear cut a foul. I don't think there's any question about it. Got him on the arm. Um, should have been called. Wasn't. Ball game. Um, if MSU had managed to win this game, which had the foul been called, they could have. I think they would have had an outstanding chance to beat Duke. Again, this was Duke barely beat Butler. Um, those who may remember, Duke won it by two, but Gordon Hayward had a three-pointer that yeah, should it look like it was going to go? <laughs> that was like a yeah, it was an amazing shot, but it, uh, yeah, rimmed out or something. And, yeah. and so they were that close to losing to Butler. Uh, it, it's hard to say. Well, Michigan State clearly would have beat Duke. I don't think it's clear, particularly without Caleb Lucas. But I think they absolutely would have stood a great chance to beat that Duke team because that Duke team was again not a group that was filled with a bunch of NBA players, it was, it was just kind of a, it wasn't a particularly great team athletically. Um, they didn't have that, that kind of all world talent that we're used to seeing in a Duke uniform over the last decade or so. It was just a different time. and It was a team that was built differently. It was a team that won because they had a bunch of veterans who knew very well how to play together. And, and so I think Michigan State, who had some of the same elements, would have had a great chance. Um, you know, I would say of the final fours that Michigan State has participated in and did not win, this is the one that I think you can, as a Michigan State fan, say, we really, really, really had a good shot. The other ones, you know, most of the time it was running into a super team. You know, you just, you, you couldn't look, I guess you could say the Cassius team losing to Texas Tech. Yeah, that'd be the other one. Maybe. But I, I honestly felt that Texas Tech team was better than this Butler team was that we're talking about. I really sure. do. Um, and I think that Virginia team that won it was definitely better than that Duke team in this year that we're talking about. I think they were just a better group. Um, but you look at most of these other years, you know, in 15, you couldn't get upset about Michigan State losing to that Duke team. Right. They were yeah, loaded. Right. Right. You, you couldn't you couldn't get upset about the year prior to this, losing to that North Carolina team. MSU played them twice that season. People forget. They also played them at Ford Field in the regular season in November or December, and they got steamrolled in that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, 2005. 2005 is interesting because a lot of people will say, Hey, MSU was up at the half against Carolina, and then Allen Anderson just couldn't go. He was hurt too badly. I agree. A healthy Allen Anderson, they maybe get by Carolina. But that MSU team was not going to beat that Illinois team. We'd seen it in the regular season. I just don't think it would have happened. The L1 team, they lost, they lost to a great Arizona club that had as many NBA players as Michigan State did. And if they got past that, they would have had Duke sitting there with a bunch of all-stars. And then the two years prior to that, that Duke team, they lost to in a very competitive game. If they managed to win, they would have had UConn. So those are all years where I can, I can rest a little easier with what happened this particular season. Yeah. I think they had a real shot. I think they were as good as anybody as they were. If they'd had Kalen Lucas, which we can turn to, were they the favorite? Would they have gotten this far with Kalen Lucas? I think that's that's a good question. You know, the first thing to think about, if Kalen is healthy, Corey Lucius isn't on the floor. 
against, against Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, right. But but they're winning by Kalen sixteen. Lucas yeah, is out there. Do they need that shot? Probably not. Right. Kalen was playing very well, by the way. That he had had. Again, let's go back. You're talking about a guy who was Big Ten Player of the Year as a sophomore. There was a lot of talk about him maybe being National Player of the Year heading into this season. We're discussing. And he did not have that kind of year. Now, he was first-team All-Big Ten, but he averaged a shade under 15 points a game, 35% from three. So he was okay, but not a world beater. He was never a guy that was a next-level playmaker. He was okay as a playmaker, but his real strength was being the guy to go get you a bucket when you needed it. And he was very, very effective in that role. My own feeling has been for as much as they did without him, they could have done all the same. If, if they had Kalen Lucas, Kansas still loses and they're playing Northern Iowa, Michigan state still beats Northern Iowa. I think they probably handled Tennessee a little bit easier than they did. And I think they probably win the whole thing. Um, I don't, I don't think this is a situation where you could say Kalen's absence created that vacuum that we talked about earlier. Right, right. I don't think that's what happened. I think they won because they they had depth and they kind of scrapped and fought and clawed their way to it. But it would have been a lot easier with their best player. And I think their best player was starting to find himself again to be not just good, but really good. He had a career, what was then a career high. It may have ended up being a career high in that first game against New Mexico state, the only entire game that he played, he's, he had a career high in scoring. So he was, and he was playing very well against Maryland before he got hurt. So he was finding himself. And he was also the kind of guy that I think, I think had definitely had, had it in him to raise the level of his play when the stakes got higher and the lights started to shine a little more brightly. I do think that was Kalen Lucas too. You know, um, so that's my feeling. I think I think this is the one that truly did get away. Yeah, and I feel like with this team, especially including Delvon Rowe in there, I yeah, I'm almost as sad for for Kalen Lucas from the years after that because he just was never quite the same player coming off that Achilles injury, and Delvon Rowe, you know, dealing with injuries. It, I felt like there was a stretch there that was kind of like the stretch where there's always some fairly major injury on the team that really affected their depth. And, and I feel like we've been very fortunate. We've not really had a lot of that recently. I, yes. Yep. I guess Josh Langford. Absolutely. Right. That, but he, he's sort of like the only one. I mean, people miss a couple of games here and there, but that's like the bad, last major injury. And I felt like for a while we had lots of major injuries where people like lose whole seasons. I guess we lost Jason Whitens this season, but I don't think, you know, really even notice that. Yeah. But. No, for, for sure. This, this team we're talking about was impacted by injury. There's no doubt about it. As we said earlier, Delvon Rowe was never the guy he should have been. Um, Kalen Lucas, it's funny. If you look back at the stats the next season, he actually had a pretty decent year as a senior. But the team really, again, that was another team that everybody thought. They had a great recruiting class coming in. Adrian Payne, Keith Appling, Russell Bird, all these guys back. They didn't lose a lot from this team, or at least it felt that way. It ended up they lost a fair amount because that next season was the one that Chris Allen and Corey Lucius got themselves into trouble that they never really got out of. Yeah. Um, Garrick Sherman ends up transferring after the next season. Um, you know, so this really was the last hurrah for this era. And then the following season, they the, the accomplishment was just managing to claw their way into a tournament bid. Um, before UCLA took them out uh, in a first-round game. But it took until the next season when Draymond was a senior and then those young guys like Appling and Payne and B.J. Dawson and all those guys started to find themselves and, and the, the culture kind of turned over again, you know. But, um, yeah, it was really unfortunate. But, again, I, as I pointed out a, a while ago, I can look at other things that happened, the the injury to Hummel, Kansas getting beaten in an upset. This team benefited from some good luck as well. So it's 
it's hard to completely go with a, they was robbed kind of thing <laughs> when you think about those those aspects of how it all unfolded, right? Uh, but I do think a healthy Michigan State with everything else remaining the same, I think they win it. Yeah, I tend to agree, but you know we can we can decide whatever we want <laughs> in our fantasies. <laughs> well, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we'll continue these discussions as we kind of keep the content rolling here. I again recommend you go to Twitter and follow us at at tffinots68. You can also drop us a line at tffinots at gmail.com. Make sure as soon as you're done listening to the show, go to your podcast player, leave a five-star written review for our show. We'd appreciate it. That helps increase our visibility to other Spartan fans. So we're all ready for the season. We are getting ready, starting to work. Now that the schedules are, or the schedules, the uh, rosters are sort of being sorted out as the transfer portal's closing down, I guess, as uh, roster season, right? That's what we're calling it. Yeah. It's finally, it's finally come to a close. We'll start getting into the Big Ten teams and our Big Ten predictions. We're going to have a lot more content over the summer, though. I appreciate you guys hanging out there, and hopefully you get some nice tunes while you're or listening to us at least talk about Michigan State basketball so you won't be totally off the radar while you're out in your boat or out driving somewhere for vacation out west. So again, until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. Go Green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.